in Tim. Um, today I'm sharing something that a one breath I feel um, poorly equipped to share on. But in the same breath, uh, God has been speaking to me wildly through His Word and through His blessings. And so I want to share on this. Now, it's going to sound strange, but what I want to speak on is the way that God won't answer God. Now, the reason I feel ill-equipped is I look out, and I'm speaking to people who've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, I've been married three, and I praise God for that, uh, because even those three have just been incredible. Uh, but in the same breath, I'm also not romantic. Um, if anything, I'm the opposite of romantic. The, uh, the best gesture I can ever pull out is I'll find flowers, and that's the move. Every single time. That's it. And so when it comes to romance, and when we talk about God loving us in a romantic way, it's so much more than that. It's with our interest and with our heart and mind, and it's deep and intimate. So, what I want to start with first is a quick definition that I love. Um, I've been doing a lot of research and trying to find a way to, to, to describe romance in a way that is approachable, instead of it being uh, between husband and wife. And so, uh, the author named Paul David Tripp, uh, he wrote that romance is an ardent emotional involvement, a fascination, or an enthusiasm for something. And I completely agree. Um, when I think of my wife and the romance that we share, it is its involvement and its, its intimate and its friendship and its so many layers. And the more that I get to know her, the more romantic I can feel towards her. And the love reflects that. Uh, so, what I'm talking about today is that marriage is a means to an end and not the end in itself. God created marriage. He said it was good. And within that marriage, uh, we see that God loves us in the same way. But marriage is dynamic and it's unique and honestly, it's just messy. And so, within Scripture, we see some very clear-cut, obvious, this is the best type of marriage but we also see this is the worst type of marriage. And so I want to talk about marriage as a whole and, and romance and anticipation and how all these things come together ultimately for one final goal, that we can know God better. So before we dive into Scripture, we're going to have a couple passages. Um, and so I just want to say a word of prayer that you guys can join me so that we can hear what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you today. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for sloppy, messy, dysfunctional, and beautiful love that you've given us to share with each other. And I pray that we, as dysfunctional, messy, sloppy people, that you love so perfectly and so deeply, that we can learn that love and reflect that back to you and towards others. We thank you, Father, for everything that you do for us as believers and as unbelievers. Uh, your love stretches far. And so I pray that you're with us today. Let us hear what you have for us so that we can leave and share more love with others. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, so the first passage we're going to flip to, and uh, this one doesn't uh, frequently get preached on, but we're going to Song of Solomon. Um, this is as raw as love gets in Scripture. Uh, the whole book is a romance between uh, two people with anticipation towards marriage. And some of it's really raw. Uh, some of it is a little tricky to find a passage that was family-friendly. And that's true about love, that uh, love has to reflect that angle. It can't be clinical. It's not real if it is. 
is floppy. So uh, what, we're, what we're hearing is this back and forth between two lovers, a man and a woman, and, and we'll get to why this is so significant. Uh, but the passage we're going to read is in Song of Solomon 8, 6 to 7. And so this is what she says to him. She says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord, and many waters cannot quench love, neither floods drown it. If man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The reason that I use this passage, the reason that this is significant when we're talking about romance, is this whole book belongs here. A book about romance, where it's not connecting it to a higher purpose, but romance in itself is the love of God. That this is the way he looks at us, this back and forth. He loves us. And that doesn't just mean the actions, doesn't mean the blessings, doesn't mean the sacrifices, but it means that he cares about our well-being. And we see that throughout this passage, and that he desires to make us special. So, what I'd like to move on to um, in a minute is going to be a different side of this, but for us, for the church, uh, marriage is the waiting, but also the romance that comes with it. Within our congregation, we have a number of people who are single, people who are unmarried, people who are moving towards marriage, and there's a level of anticipation there that's clear within this passage. Uh, when we look at where we're at in history with Christianity, uh, God has come, he sent his, he sent his son to die on the cross. And that sacrifice, as weighty as it was, was the ultimate display of love. Within that, we're also looking forward to a day when we can be with him in person. And in a lot of ways, in uh, Revelation 19 and in 21, it's even talked to as a marriage feast. And so we're really in a stage of anticipation where we're looking forward to the day when we can be with him fully. And so this passage of two people waiting for that day is raw and it's real and it has something to teach us when we look through those same experiences. For those that are not married, you have a rough idea. Maybe you are interested in romance. Maybe you're not. Uh, maybe you're on your way. Maybe you're engaged. And all these things have something to teach us about the way that God is desiring us, that he's looking forward to that day when we can be with him. So now let's flip the page. We're going to go to a book of Hosea. This is one of the minor prophets. This is in every way the opposite, where in Song of Solomon, we see two lovers sharing their love for each other and expressing that they love each other. This is the love of God. Now, this is the relationship between God and man. And so we're going to be in Hosea 2. Uh, again, I had to filter for a passage that shares a book while also being delicate, because this is a very raw passage. Uh, so to give a quick overview of the context, um, the book is about 14 chapters long. The first two chapters are narrative, and the rest is proclamation, that God had a message for his people, Israel. Israel was a disaster at this point in history, as bad as it could get, and judgment was coming, that they would ultimately be exiled. And so this was Hosea, before that, warning the people of Israel that this was to come. So the weird, the unusual, is this little story. Uh, so it starts with God speaking to Hosea, 
Hosea was chosen prophet to share this message, but he was to experience it firsthand. And so the first command was that he was to go find a new woman and marry her. This woman would then go and leave him, return, leave him, return, and leave him, and return. And he was faithful to her. But she'd come back, and the scripture doesn't specify, but it does imply that she came back with three children outside of marriage. And so these three children were named first Jezreel. This was to evoke the idea of judgment's coming, that what had been done could be done again. And then he had two more in the, I use the ESV personally. Um, he, the, the children in the Hebrew are Lo Rahama and Lo Ami. Uh, the ESV actually just calls them what they translate as No mercy and not my people. Because this was God saying to Israel, This is what should be coming. So they were idolaters, they were uh, worshiping false gods. And in a romantic setting, this is betrayal. Uh, when we look at um, loved ones leaving us and returning, that's the ultimate form of heartbreak. It's unthinkable. I would die if Alicia ever did that to me. Um, but yet the people of Israel had continually left God and returned to him. Left God and returned to him. And betrayed him time and time again, and yet he was faithful. So the passage I want to talk on is going to be Hosea 2, 16 to 20. Uh, it says, so it talks about the false gods called them Baal. Uh, he says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baal from their mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in steadfastness, and you shall know the Lord. This is not a message from Hosea to his wife Gomer. This is a message from God to his people. That in faithlessness, he would be faithful. That in betrayal, he would choose us all the way through. Um, this is evocative because... We feel that. We have real marriage and real relationships and real romance. And the intimacy is messy and betrayal hurts. And we can see God's love through his steadfastness. So the last one, and this is going to be clear-cut, um, definitely less messy. Um, this is the Ephesians 5 passage. Uh, if you've been to a wedding, uh, you've probably heard this. I've actually used this in a wedding ceremony uh, because it is so clear. But it speaks about how we as men and women are to behave like God and his bride, the church. So uh, we're going to start in uh, 25 to 32, and later we're going to come back. So 525 uh, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to him in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love the wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, 
still leave his father and mother and hold fast to his word, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so he takes a somewhat roundabout approach, but he gets to the point that this is marriage, but this is also showing us the love of Christ towards us as his people. So within this passage, and we're going to come back, we've actually got a passage right before this that's going to talk about how we're supposed to relate with one another. Um, the idea I want to make practical, because this is a little funky, uh, we can own that, but it's very practical too because God will always love us more than we can love him. And he can make that very clear. I can account multiple times, but the, the moment that really put this on my heart was a few months ago, uh, my daughter, she had a bump on her leg. Now, we didn't really think much of it. Um, she's got my wife's sensitive skin, and my I call them the lumpy lunchstroms. They're just lumps. Um, they show up, they disappear. That's what they do. Uh, so I wasn't super worried. She kind of had our body. And so we said, oh, well, you know, we'll get it checked out. So got it checked out. They did a um, ultrasound. And it wasn't super bad. They thought it was just something like a little fat ball, and they'd remove it, and that's it. So that's almost great. It's like an outpatient sur- surgery. Uh, so then we show up, and we're going to meet with like the surgeons. They're going to say, "Oh, it's nothing. We're going to cut it up. It's all good." Um, and that wasn't the conversation. Uh, they did another ultrasound. They saw that the uh, borders were starting to spread, and that uh, usually indicates cancer. So he had to go for another ultrasound. They did see it was very aggressive, and they put us in for surgery like two, three days later. Um, so it was kind of a rush scenario. So he left us a little bit of peace. He said, it's probably nothing, but let's go ahead. We're going to biopsy it, check it, make sure it's fine. Um, and then that day we got there, and it wasn't looking so good. He was really grim. Um, it really looked like it was cancer. And so, of course, we're praying, 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 praying. Um, and we got to the point where we just said, God, uh, there's a way that you can heal her that only you can. I trust that you can heal her in a way that will baffle the doctors. And uh, sure enough, they go in for surgery. Uh, it's supposed to be a quick biopsy, but we're going a little longer. Uh, he gets out, tells us he removed the whole thing. And they said they're going to get it checked. He said he has never, ever, ever seen anything like it before. This is like the head of pediatric surgery. And he's never seen it before. Um, and then we find out it's not cancer. Now, the significance of this, this is a blessing within itself that God had spared my daughter, um, a blessing within itself, but what drove it home for me, uh, what drove it home for me was, it was on uh, Good Friday. On Good Friday, we remember the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, that God gave up his son because he loved us. And on that day, he didn't ask for favors. Now, when I talk about he could have done nothing. He could have made the lump disappear. He could have just healed her. But in his love, in the way that he could speak his name to my wife, he healed her in a way that showed his hand in it. He made it so clear, knowing that Alicia and I would be impacted by this, that it was significant that it was on so, I imagine that if you've spent any time with the Lord, you can relate to a situation 
only answer to prayer? God not only did what you asked of him, but he went further to make sure that you knew you were loved by him. If you've not experienced that, then if you're walking with the Lord, it's coming. Because his love isn't just answering prayers, it's intimate and it is relentless. So then we have to now switch gears. Because this is a lot of good truth. What the Lord has said is love, and it's incredible. But then it raises the question, what does that mean for us? So there's three different groups of people I'd love to speak to. Um, The first is people who have not begun a relationship with Christ. If this is something you've not started, we will um, circle back to this a little bit later. Um, But just know this, uh, whether you have a relationship with him or not, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were not worthy, he chose to us. There is a love that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it's relentless. And it's meaningful, and it's intimate, and it's deep. Now, the other group of people I'd like to speak to are believers. People who have entered a relationship with Christ. So here's, here's the question. God has an intimate, meaningful, impactful, romantic love for us. What's our response? What is that supposed to look like? The, the answer? My gosh, it can go a million ways. Uh, what might be right for me may not be right for you, but at the end of the day, I want to have a couple prompting questions. Uh, so the first one is, what do our devotional practices look like? So when we spend time with the Lord, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe that means you're going to sit down and you're going to read scripture for 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes, and then you're going to pray for however long. Uh, maybe that means that you're going to listen to worship music and sing on your way to church. Whatever that means. The term devotional practice is just vague in general. If you're spending time with the Lord, what does that look like? If you're not, uh, what should you be doing? Is this something you should be producing? Is this something that is going to improve your relationship with the Lord? Because then this raises the next question. Uh, what type of marriage would best represent our relationship with the Lord? If we're walking with him, and if we claim to follow him, what does our relationship with him look like? Does it reflect a strong and healthy marriage? Does it reflect that anticipation of looking forward to the day we can be with him in person? Uh, Does it reflect maybe the Hosea marriage, a little bit of betrayal? What does that marriage look like? And what would you have to do to get that back on track? Uh, One question is, have we been disobedient without regard to it making us unfaithful? Um, I think... Sometimes sin is easy to overlook because, well, God forgives. Uh, but in the same breath, sin is betrayal, and it breaks the heart of God. Now, if he loves us that much, so much more than we could ever, so much more than any earthly relationship could ever mean, if he loves us with that depth, the betrayal only hurts so much worse. And so, uh, sin is no small deal. Disobedience breaks the heart of God, and, and that's not something that reflects a healthy if we're looking at romance as the definition, disobedience is failure. Uh, and then the last question is, what can we do to enhance our relationship with the Lord? Uh, what does that mean? Like, what do we need to be doing? For me, something that works is I'll shake things up. If I'm reading the scripture and praying, and I feel like I need to be giving the Lord something more, uh, I'll do things I hate, like journaling. Um, I'll sing, which is just for me super uncomfortable, and also for most of the people around me pretty uncomfortable, too, because it's Truly horrendous. 
but I'll do the things that aren't really comfortable, uh, but that are things that I know that uh, praise him. And so maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe consistency does work. Whatever enhances your relationship with the Lord, these are ways that you can reflect on that fact. Now, the last group that I have to address is the church. Scripture makes consistently clear the church, the people of God, are the bride of Christ. That there is this ultimate day coming when we will be able to be joined. That we're actually going to be physically with him. Now, what that looks like, when that is, who knows? Uh, but I do know that as a church, we are the bride. As a church, what can we be doing to reflect that? What can we be doing to become a more worthy bride? Uh, the church is awesome. I mean, my wife and I moved 600 miles away so we can be part of this church. Um, we love this church and we think that everything that's going on here is incredible and healthy. Um, but it is a community. And every single person is responsible for improving or detracting from the health of this church. In fact, we can go even one step further. What are we doing with other churches? What is our church doing with other churches? What are you doing with other churches? What are you doing with other believers? What is all this tied together to make us one unified, holy, capital C church that is the bride of Christ? I have no answers. I have no qualms. I love everything we're doing. Uh, but as individuals, we're all part of this community, maybe interacting with a handful of people. But what can we do with those handful? Uh, a small group. When we get together, it's chaos. Uh, I think together we have eight kids. Uh, the family, one family joins us with ten kids, uh, and they just run around. Uh, it is a nightmare. But at the end of the day, there's four couples. There's me and my wife, and then uh, six other people that we interact with constantly. And at the end of the day, the question is, what am I doing to help them have a closer relationship with the Lord? as a church to move forward. And that's a question for all of us. As the bride of Christ together, what are we doing? Are we moving toward health and moving away from health? Are we becoming a more or less worthy bride of Christ? So these are just the topic questions I have. Uh, the worship team wants to make their way up. I just want to close the word of prayer and a brief invitation. So, um, I did touch on briefly. This love, this is deep and meaningful and impactful love. Uh, if you've not had a chance to begin that relationship, if you've not started a committed relationship with the Father, I do want to invite you that if this is something you're interested in, you can talk to me. Uh, Pastor Josh, he certainly knows his stuff. Uh, and honestly, if you have anyone who's brought you here, talk to them as well. But if you did want to start a relationship today, uh, it can begin with a simple prayer. It goes something like this. Uh, Father, Today is my day. Uh, today is the first day. I get to know what this love is like. That you have asked for me since before I was born or even conceived. That you knew me. You love me. And so I pray that you can expose me to the right people and the right information. That I can be a part of this big capital C church and become a worthy bride of you. Uh, I pray that you will forgive me for my sins. And as I move forward in faith, I will continue to work with you. Amen. Something simple like that is all it takes. I'm asking to enter a relationship with you. So now, as a church, as a whole, uh, where do we move forward?
got people that you're close with, talk to them. If you've got a husband or a wife, talk to them. If you're engaged, talk to them. Every single day in a relationship, specifically a romantic relationship, you're learning something. God's teaching you something. Even in the mundane, even in the days where you go to work, come home, the kids are crazy, and make dinner and go to bed. So I want to pray together uh, for each other that we can not only have better romantic relationships with each other, but ultimately better understand what God's teaching us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your holy, holy word. You speak to us and you love us and you express so much to us. I pray that you're with us all as we leave here, uh, that we can better understand your love and what that means for us now and what that means for us I pray that you're with us if we are in romantic relationships, uh, that you can keep those holy, you can keep those sacred. Uh, that within marriage, you can keep things healthy and moving forward, or restore health where there is none. Uh, outside of marriage, in the anticipation, I pray that you can teach what that means for us as Christian living today. And for every single one of us here, God, we know your love is so deep. Corporately, we can't repay the love you've given us. But God, today, as we I pray that we see your hearts, at least right now, in something. We love you, Father, so much.